All right, so, wow, that's really loud to me. 2 Kings chapter 9. Is that blasting to anybody else? Maybe it's just my ears. 2 Kings chapter 9 is where I'd like you to, to start. And um, we are made our way from 1 Kings into 2 Kings. We're doing our volume of the book study. I really want to encourage you every week to, if you can, grab one of those uh, bulletins on the back side as our study sheets, or you can scan the QR code and pull it up online if you'd like to do it that way, if I remember to put it online. I think I did this time. Um, good. I'm getting the thumbs up that I did. So, um, man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You guys ready to get in the book? All right, so um, we are in a portion of the scriptures that you get some crazy stories, you get some boring history, right? You just get through all of that, and, and uh, I was just talking to Mason and, and Dave about this Friday, that my goal is to make it as practical as possible, and yet we still have to address some things. And, um, and so when we come to this passage, I've, I've titled the message, Did You Hear the Story About? And that'll come in handy, and I just like that. It's really, really shiny and poppy, you know, I just like that. But maybe it'll get red, stuck in your head because there are some amazing stories in this book of Second Kings, and we can't talk about hardly any of them, which <laughs> makes me really sad because we have got to, we got ground to cover. We're trying to just do an overview of the Bible, make it practical, and deal with some things, maybe deal some things prof- prophetically, but um, did you hear the story about? Now, that's going to come in handy because when we look at Second Kings, there's two storylines, right? So you ever watch a TV show or read a book? There's, there tends to be a couple storylines happening congruent as you, as you watch the show or as you read the book, what have you. The first storyline is this. It's the storyline number one follows the political movements of the kings. So that's really what's happening in, the, in, the, in this book of 2 Kings is God is telling this political story of this king reigned and then this king killed that king and now he's reigning. And really, it, it truly is a bloody story that pursues of a king's pursuit for a throne. And that is the storyline of really what's going on in 2 Kings. It's aptly named Kings, right? Especially those first 10 chapters um, there's, there's two storylines. It kind of shifts gears towards the end. And so I just want to address those first 10 chapters um, today. So if you remember from last week, King Ahab died. Ahab, God just clears off a spot and says, let's talk about this dude. And, and King Ahab dies, and, and he dies according to prophecy. Now, he's shot in battle with an arrow. Somebody shoots him, pulls back the, the bow, and, and shoots him, and, and causes a deadly wound. And he's in his chariot, and he's standing up, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm hurt, I'm wounded. Well, he dies in his, in his chariot. Now, I want to pull up on the screen 1 Kings chapter 22. Verses 37 and 38, it says, so the king died. This is referring to King Ahab. This makes sense. This will tie in, right? So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, verse 38. And one washed the the chariot in the pool of Samaria. Look at this. And the dogs lift up his blood. That's weird, isn't it? So here's this guy. He dies, and it says, and one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria. So they get the bucket of water, you know, and hosing the thing out, as it were, and the dogs are there, and they lick up the blood. It says they washed his armor. Look at this. According to the word of the Lord. Now, that's, that word of the Lord is just one chapter back in chapter 21 in verse 19. And this is spoken by Elijah, verse 19. It says, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. So here's Elijah talking to King Ahab and says, Hey, listen, when you die, it's going to be bloody. 
And how are we going to know it's to be bloody? Because the dogs are going to lick your blood after you die. That's kind of gross, isn't it? And you get stories like that in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And so God says, okay, Ahab, you're going to die. Well, he dies. And the dogs lick up his blood just like the Bible said he's going to. Well, if you remember, Ahab has a wife, and her name is Jezebel, right? Jezebel. And we talked about how that's a great name for a cat, right? We talked about that. I think all cats are Jezebel. But as soon as Ahab dies, Ahab, or Jezebel kind of goes underground. You don't hear about her again and really until chapter 9. So she disappears off the scene for 14 years. Now, if you remember, we talked about that Jezebel is a picture. She's a type of false religion. She is that woman that sits upon many waters in Revelation chapter 17, the great whore that sitteth upon many waters riding on the beast. That is Jezebel. And what's interesting to me is that she goes into a season where she kind of goes underground before she pops back up, exactly like the Babylonian system does. It's on the scene, it's on the scene, and all of a sudden it goes underground and it pops back up in the end times. And that's exactly probably what Mason was dealing with in his fellowship time, exactly what we've been dealing with last week. All right, so she goes underground. So Ahab dies, his son takes over. I don't have these verses. You can write these references down. Chapter 1 Kings 21, verse 51, you have Ahaziah, his son, takes over for two years. And then Ahaziah dies, and Jehoram, or Joram, he takes over. He rules, for 12, he rules and reigns for 12 years. And, and the whole time, Jezebel is just kind of working behind the scenes, doing her thing, causing apostasy to take place. Remember, she's offering things unto sacrifice unto idols. She's got prophets of Baal eating at her table, eating those things that are sacrificed to idols. And we talked about last time that that is human sacrifice. And so that's Jezebel's gain. That's what she's all about. All right, so I had you go to chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9, because I want to spend some time dealing with this storyline because Ahaziah is dead. Jehoram is dying. In fact, go to chapter 8 in verse 29. Chapter 8 in verse 29. It says, and King Joram went back to be healed in Jezreel of his wounds, which the Syrians had given him at Ramah. When he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. And so Joram is sick, he's, he's hurting, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, comes to visit him, and now they're, they're together, the king, the, and Jehu shows up on the scene. Joram is just about to die. And God says, okay, we're going to anoint a new king, in other words, setting a new seed line, and this guy named Jehu shows up on the scene. Jehu? Yeah, Jehu, that's who. Jehu, he shows up on the scene. He's going to rule and reign. So check out verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. And Elisha, now remind, remember, Elijah had passed by. Elisha tosses his mantle on him. Elisha now becomes to follow Elijah. Now we're, we're a little bit later in the story. Elijah's gone off the scene, and now Elisha's the guy. We'll come back to that here in just a few moments. But notice this in verse 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins. And take this box of oil in thine hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in, and make him arise up among his brethren, and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil, and pour it on his head, and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door, and flee, and tarry not. 
So Elisha comes to the prophet and says, hey, I got a job for you. Here's a box of oil. Go find Jehu, pour oil on his head, and anoint him to be the king over Israel. There's a problem, though. There's already a king over Israel, Joram, Ahab's son, or grandson. So Joram's ruling and, and reigning, but he's sick. You read that at the end of chapter 8, and, and Elisha says, okay, we're going to anoint a new king, a brand new seed line. And so the prophet goes, and he, he goes and he finds this guy named Jehu. Now look at verse 6. And he arose and went to the house, and he poured oil on his head and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. So here's a guy who gets anointed king, and he's just some dude, just some random dude who didn't search for the kingdom, wasn't looking for the kingdom, and then all of a sudden, boom, now you're in charge. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Now look at verse 11. So they do that in secret, and Jehu comes out of the room. In verse 11, Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? Right? So they're all kind of having this little party. This prophet shows up with a box of oil. says, Hey, I need to have a little chat with you. A little, little weird. Let's take you in the other room. Jehu comes out, oil dripping all over him. They're like, Hey, what happened? Why'd that mad guy come and, and talk to you? Verse, the end of verse 11, he said unto them, you know the man and his communication. You know what that was about. And they said, it's false. No, that can't be true. No, tell me, is it real? Is it? And he said, no, it's false. Tell us now. And he said, thus and thus spake he to, them, to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew a trumpet saying, Jehu is king. All right, why do we go through all of that? Because I want you to understand that there's the storyline number one is the political movements of the kings. And Jehu, in order to rule and reign, it gets really ugly here. It gets really, really bad. And so stay in chapter nine. I want you to go all the way to verse 30. So he is conquering, he's conquering, he's taking over. People are recognizing, wait, God's hand is on this dude. He's beginning to conquer and to take over the throne. And you get to verse 30. Jezebel shows back up on the scene. We haven't heard from her since 1 Kings. So we're 14 years removed now, and Jehu shows up on the scene, verse 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and notice what she does. She paints her face. She tired her head. In other words, she did her hair all good and looked out at a window. Why? Remember, if you remember what we talked about last time. When, people want to con when rulers want to control people, what do they do? They take government and they take false religion and they put them hand in hand. And it's a way to conquer and rule over the people. And Jezebel, all she cares about is that she has a role and she has a function. And there's a new king in Israel. She doesn't care that it's her grandson that just left the scene. Right? It's her grandson that's just dead. But as soon as the new king shows up with a new seed line, she gets all dolled up, gets her hair all done, gets her face all done. It's like, hey, I'll be your queen. I'll be whatever you need me to be. Just like a harlot. I'm being careful with my words. Y'all get me? Because that's who she is. But Jehu sees right through it. And so she, she gets all ready. In verse 31, and Jehu entered in at the gate and said, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window. He sees her and, and said, Who is on my side? Who? And look at this. And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. 
And so she's up on this wall. She peeks out the window. He looks up and sees her and says, hey, who's on my side? Tell me who's on my side. And two or three eunuchs, steers, let me put it that way, pop their heads out, pop their heads out. And he's like, throw her down. And they're like, toss her out the window. She hits the ground and blood splatters everywhere. You're welcome for the... Listen, when I read my Bible, I do the same thing. All right, verse 33. He said, throw her down. So he threw her down. Listen, you're laughing about this lady who died. I'm just saying. Y'all are sick. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And check this out. He's like, that ain't enough. And takes his horse and just runs her over, man. Treads her underfoot. She is gondo. She is dead. Verse 34. And when he has come in, he did eat and drank and said go see now this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter remember she's a daughter of the king of the Zidonians verse 35 and they went to bury her but look at this but they found no more of her than her skull and the feet and the palms of her hands all that's left of her is her chrome dome palms of her hands and her feet that's it verse 36 Wherefore they came again and told him and, and said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel. So the dogs eat her according to the word of the Lord. Let me give you 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 23. That's your cross-reference. And Jezebel also... Spake, spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Elijah prophesied that back in 1 Kings. That doesn't come to pass until like 14 years later. But the dogs sure, and they had their, man, they had their fill of Jezebel. So Jezebel is now off the scene. Well, Jehu's not done. Jehu's not done. He's okay, we need, we need to talk some more. So go here in chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1, and Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. So the seed line, so Joram should have died, and then the next guy up, right? That's kind of how it works. Next guy in the seed line, guy's up, and, and Jehu's like, no, we're going to end the seed line of Ahab right here, right now. He's got 70 sons. They're all going to die. So he sends a letter out to the people of Samaria and says, hey, we're going to, we, I want them all dead. Verse 6, then he wrote a letter to the servant, second time to them saying, if ye be mine, and if you will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men of your master's sons and come to me to Jezreel by tomorrow this time. Now the king's sons, being 70 persons, were with the great men of the city, which brought them up. And it came to pass, when the letter came to them, that they took the king's sons, slew 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent, him, sent them to Jezreel. Talk about bloody man. This is crazy. Yeah, this is in your Bible. He's like, hey, listen, there's 70 sons of Ahab. They all have a claim to the throne. We're going to eliminate them now. Kill them. In fact, why don't you kill them, chop off their heads, and bring me their heads? And that's still happening today, man. That's how they're proving conquering in the Middle East today. They're chopping off heads, man. Left and right, it's happening. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So he takes out the 70 sons of Jehu, but then you have Jezebel's prophets still kicking it. Right, they're still in the land. They go to chapter 10, verse 18. So Jehu sets up a trap for these prophets of Baal. He's like, hey, listen, I'm going to worship Baal just like you all, but I'm going to take it to the next level. Verse 18, and Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab, serve Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. He's lying through his teeth. He's setting up a trap. Verse 19, now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal. 
all his servants and all his priests, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. In other words, you don't show up to this, this party, you're going to die. Right? So, hey, we're going to worship Baal, and we're going to force you to worship Baal, but he's setting a trap. Middle of verse 19. But Jehu did it in subtlety to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. Verse 25. So they all get together. And the trap is sprung. Verse 25, And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city, the house of Baal, and they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them. And it goes on and on and on from there. So here's Jehu gets anointed as king and immediately goes into action, takes out Jezebel takes out the 70 sons of Ahab, no claim to the throne, and then takes out the prophets of Baal. Hey, good job. The only problem is he's a wicked dude. He has no interest in serving the Lord. You can read about that in the last few verses of this chapter. He has no interest in serving the Lord. So what's happening? Jehu takes over as king of Israel, and then the story continues. The storyline continues following the different kings until their captivity. That's what it does. So from chapters 11 all the way to the end of the book, it says this king reigned and this king reigned and this king reigned and then this king reigned and this person killed this person and took over the throne and did this all the way up until the captivity because those northern ten tribes get carried off into Assyrian captivity in 725 B.C. That's exactly what happens. The southern tribes get taken a few years after that in 606 B.C. into Babylon. And that's what the rest of this book, now here's what's crazy. God clears off a whole lot of space in 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings to focus in on this time frame. God's teaching us something. Right? There's something to teach because he covers a huge amount of territory in just a, really a few chapters. Hundreds of years is taken in the next few chapters. We'll address that um, next week more than likely. We'll just see how much my studies go. Right? We'll see how that plays out. Now, is it okay if we just take a few moments for my prophecy nerds, right? So I got some prophecy nerds in the house, and if it's all right with you, I'd like to scratch their itch, all right? So hold your spot and come with me to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Now what's interesting to me, after Ahab dies, after Ahaziah dies, after... Joram passes away. This dude named Jehu just gets thrown, thrown in. He gets to rule and reign. He had no kingdom as of yet. He had no claim to a throne. And yet he's immediately thrown in to rule and reign. He wasn't searching for it. But he was happy. He was ready and ready for the task. And we, all right, prophecy, guys. Let me just give you this, let me give you this bone. This is what's interesting to me. Jehu is king number one of ten kings that rule after Jezebel's dead. There's ten before the captivity. Ten kings reign, Jehu's king number one. So Revelation chapter 17, verse 12 Here's what I want you to get before we get to, the, to this. You have the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. The beast has, um, has uh, uh, seven heads, which are seven kingdoms, which is Babylon and Egypt and, 
and uh, sorry, Mystery Babylon, Nimrod, and Egypt, and then you have Babylon, the Medes and Persians, and then you have the Greek, and then you have Rome, and then you have Rome mingling the seed with, with men, and then you have, that's the seven kings, the seven kingdoms, but then you have these ten horns on this beast, and what's riding on this beast is this great whore. It's Jezebel. It's that Mystery Babylon false religion system. And verse 12, it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten, what does the Bible say? Kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. There's coming a day where the Antichrist system is going to marry itself with false religion, and there's going to be ten kings that show up on the scene who weren't looking for a kingdom so much, they have no rights to a kingdom so much, and yet they're thrust into power. These have one mind, verse 13, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Interesting. Now what happens? Verse 16. Verse 16 says, Then the ten, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, mystery Babylon, Jezebel, and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her, her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, to agree, to give their kingdom unto the beast, unto the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, stop. What's going to happen? Jehu is king number one. There's another king, another king, all the way down to ten kings. And what happens at the end? They take their kingdom and they give it to another. The Assyrian. The Antichrist. So, there's your itch. There's your, hope it scratches that itch for you prophecy nerds. And some of you are like, I have no idea. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I'm just trying to scratch the itch because there is a lot going on in 2 Kings that lays out the end times. All right, so storyline number one follows the political, the political movements of the king. Storyline number two. There's a storyline number two. Now I want you to go to chapter, chapter one because we skip a lot of stuff that's happening in these chapters. Go to chapter one. Here's your next point, is that storyline number two follows the spiritual movements of the faithful remnant. And if you remember last time, we asked about, hey, or will I be the faithful remnant? In other words, there are people who are consumed, being consumed by the kings and political movements, and yet there's a faithful remnant that God wants to use, and you and I can be that faithful remnant. Well, storyline number two follows the spiritual movements of the faithful remnant. So you had the political thing happening, but God is also moving behind the scenes. And God's at work in a faithful, here's your next point, God is at work in a faithful remnant in a nation that does not appreciate it. Sound familiar? Because they're not interested in hearing the word of God. 2 Kings chapter 1. Let's go back to this Ahaziah guy for a moment. So, Moab rebels after the death of Ahab, verse 2, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. Now, as he's sick, who does he send messengers to? He says, and he sent messengers and said unto them, go inquire of Beelzebub. Sound familiar? What they accuse Jesus of, being of the spirit of Beelzebub, same name. The God of Ekron, whether I shall recover this disease. So Ahaz hurting, Ahaziah is hurting. He says, hey, go find out from this false God whether I'm going to heal or not. 
Well, in the meantime, the angel of the Lord comes to Elijah the Tishbite and says, hey, get up, I need you to go address these messengers and, and, and tell them something. It says, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it not because there is no God, not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. And Elijah departed. So Elijah cuts them off of the past. Before they even get to Beelzebub, before they even get to the false prophets, he comes to them and says, hey, um, you, you must not think there's a God in Israel. Apparently there's no God in Israel, so you're going to go searching after this, this false God. And what's happening is you have a faithful remnant working in the midst of a nation who is not, not very appreciative of it. And so they, they head back, and, and Ahaziah's like, why are you back so quick? He said, well, we ran into this dude, Elijah. He's like, oh, man, that guy. Why don't you take a captain of 50 and go, go get that guy and bring him to me? So the captain of the host says, okay, he grabs 50 men, and he walks up to find, um, find Elijah, who's up on the mountain, and says, hey, I want you to come down with me. And he's like, hey, if I'm really a prophet of God, then let fire come down and consume you. Sure enough, fire comes down from heaven, and consumes the captain and his host of 50. You can read about this in verses 5 to 16. Well, word gets back to the king. The king says, hey, let's do that again. So he grabs another captain of 50 and says, hey, go grab your 50, and a little bit mightier, a little bit stronger, a little bit better crew. Let's, let's send in the Navy SEALs. Let's go do this. So they walk in. And as soon as they show up, he's like, oh, I'm the prophet of the Lord. The fire come down from heaven. Boom. Shish kebabs. They all torch. They're all gone. And the king says, hey, let's do that a third time. Well, this other guy's like, I've seen how this goes. Like, I don't want any part of this. And so he comes creeping up and says, hey, uh, would you do me a solid? Could you not call fire down from heaven? I'm just doing what I'm told to do. And then God says, hey, Elijah, don't be scared. Why don't you go with him? So saves his life of his life and saves the life of a man by because he humbles himself. He's not demanding and dictating what the word of God says. He's humbling himself and let the word of God dictate what he does. That's what saves his life. And I'm telling you, that's where a lot of us, we get burnt in our walk with the Lord. We get burnt in churches because we try to dictate what the word of God has to say instead of letting the word of God dictate our life. Practical application. Right, so it goes back and, and it goes back to the king and says, Hey, uh, you, well, let's just look at it. We'll go to it's verse 16. He said unto, them, unto him, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, God of Ekron, is it not because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? You have an option to hear from the word of the Lord, and you went and chased after a false God? It says, Therefore, thou shalt not come down off that bed in which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Verse 17, verse, so he died. <laughs> Okay, so he died. Hey, you're going to die? So he died. I I just love the the matter-of-factness of of God's word. So fire gets called down from heaven twice, and uh, they want to hear from mysticism. They want to hear from false prophets. They want to hear from manifestation. You ever heard of those people? That's the biggest movement today. Let's just manifest that. You ever heard that? We're going to manifest that into existence. Speaking this thing into existence, um, that's wicked. That's demonic. That is not of the Lord. Amen, church? And I'm telling you, you're going to hear about it all the time. Church, turn on your radio, turn on your TV. It's everywhere. Let's manifest that into existence. Gag me with a green Twinkie. That is not Bible, man. That is not truth. That's wicked. And all that is is you have the word of the Lord to guide you, and that's what you chase after. No wonder churches are dying. 
just falling off the place. Man, the authority's got to be the book. All right, so say in 2 Kings, go to chapter 2, because here's your next point. God's at work in a faithful remnant who will reproduce faithful remnant. That's how you know that you're part of the faithful remnant is when you reproduce a faithful remnant. In other words, you're serving the Lord, and when you're gone, there's somebody else serving the Lord. Can that be said of you? If God just said, okay, today's the last day that you breathe on this planet, and you're gone, is there somebody else who's going to be serving the Lord because of you? That's the question on the table. That's what it means to be a faithful remnant. That there is somebody serving Jesus because you did. We have a very short amount of time to do this. And God says, okay, Elijah, you're coming off the scene. Elisha is going to be taken over. Now, this is a crazy story. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. So they do this thing over and over and over again. Verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? He said, Yeah, I, I know it. Hold your peace. So Elisha knows. This is the last day I'm going to be with my guy. And Elijah's like, hey, I'm going to go here. Stay here. He's like, nope, wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. Hey, I'm going to go over here. Nope, I'm going wherever you're going. Hey, I'm going to go over here. Okay, and Elijah just allows him to do that. Verse 7. Verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. So they cross over this river Jordan, 50 prophets watching it from a, from a distance. Verse 9, and it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on. In other words, you better, keep, you better stay close to me. You better stay walking with me. And as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Say, what? That's a crazy story, isn't it? Elijah does not die. He's taken up. A picture of the, of the rapture of the remnant at the end of the tribulation. You can read about that in, in Revelation what, chapter 14, I think. Chapter 7, chapter 14, right around there. Verse 12, and Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he, sat, and he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up the man, also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where's this Lord God of Elijah? When he also has smitten the waters, they parted thither, hither and thither, and Elisha 
went over. And so Elisha gets a double portion of the spirit of, of Elijah. All right, so I go through all that story because Elijah is just turning his ministry over to Elisha. Now, let me give you some doctrine here just for a moment. Elijah is a picture of John the Baptist. In other words, he comes in the spirit of Elijah. That's what Micah tells us, right? That's what Matthew tells us. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. And now here's something about Elijah. He lives separate from the people. He lives out in the wilderness, and he stresses obedience and repentance in his messages, just like John the Baptist does. But when Elisha takes over, he's a picture of Jesus Christ who lives among the people, who does miracles among the people, and he emphasizes grace and hope in his messages. So Elisha is a picture of Christ. Elijah is a picture of John the Baptist. All right, so let me give you the next point. God is at work in a faithful remnant, and most people got to get this. Most people miss out on all the cool stories because they're focused on the political stuff, man. That's what's happening in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, there's a political movement. Jehu's taking over, and Jezebel's getting killed, and, and man, just blood's being spewed everywhere, and people are so focused on the political stories, they're missing out on the cool stories. They're missing out on what God's doing with the faithful remnant. Does this sound familiar today? Because I look at that, and man, we have a world that's consumed with politics and wars and, and rumors of wars and all these things and things I think you ought to know about. You should be aware of, but that is not your focus. Our focus is what, God is, what is God doing with the faithful remnant today? And that's where the cool stories are. That's where the cool stuff is. And so this is going to go quick, but did you hear the story about... That's our message title. Did you hear the story about? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you in your, in your free time to go read chapters 2 through 7 because there are some really cool stories in here. Did you hear the story about Elisha healing the waters in the land with salt? They come to Elisha, and, and you see that in chapter 2, verse 19 and 22. They come to Elisha and say, hey, the land is, is barren, the, the water's bad. He goes, get me a cruise of salt, and he takes the new cruise full of salt and pours it in the water, and it heals the land. Did you read about that? Did you hear the story about that? Did you hear about the story of the 42 kids who got tore up by two she-bears? So Elisha's walking by, and here's what I love about Elisha. He's a bald man. That's what I like about Elisha. How do I know that? Because as he's walking along, these 42 kids start making fun of him and say, hey, go up, thou bald head, go up. And Elisha's like, I'm done listening to these kids. He is not involved in children's ministry. Right? The, this is the kind of guy you do not want involved in children's ministry because Elijah didn't got time to mess around. He's like, I curse you. And the two she-bears come down and just rip them to shreds. Like, what is in my Bible? Why is that in there? 42. Listen, the bear is a picture of the Antichrist and, and the children of Israel. 42 months, they'll be devoured by the Antichrist. So there's, there's a doctrinal picture there, but this thing happened. Did, did you hear the story about the widow woman whose oil didn't run out? This woman had, she had debts to pay and her husband's gone and she doesn't know what to do. She's broker than broke, I mean, broke as a joke. And she, all she has is a little cruise of oil and she comes to the man of God and says, hey, I don't know what to do. He's like, well, you need to sell some oil. Well, I ain't got no oil to sell. We'll go get some vessels. And man, she just fills her house full of vessels and he says, pour out your, pour out your oil into all those vessels. She just starts pouring all of them. All of them. She's like, hey, get me another one. Hey, get me another one. Get me another one. It's just filling up. Get me another one. Get me another one. And they're like, I ain't got nothing left. And he goes, okay. 
That's when the oil dries up. And she goes and she takes the oil, she sells it and pays off her debts. Did you read about that story? Did you hear about that story? Did you hear about the Shunammite woman? The Shunammite woman who was blessed with a son? Did you hear about that? Because she, she made a place in her house. She, she set apart a, a spot for the man of God because she knows Elijah comes by every now and then. So she makes a, a spot on the wall with a desk and a lamp and a little stool and, and makes a bed for him and says, hey, come and, and dwell here. And, Elijah, and Elisha's like, man, what do I do for this woman? And, and his servant Gehazi says, hey, um, she, she's barren. Her husband is older than old and they can't have kids. Can, what can you do? What can you do? And, and Elisha calls her and says, hey, about this time, um, you're, you're going to have a son. Sure enough, she gets pregnant, has a son. Did you, did you read about that story? Did you hear about this, the boy who was raised from the dead after the issue with his head? Because that little boy grows up. The little boy goes out to see his dad in the field. He goes, my head, my head, and he dies. And the woman of God runs after and finds Elisha and says, you've got to do something. And Elisha says, sends Gehazi and says, hey, take my staff, lay it on the kid's face. And he'll raise from the dead. Sure enough, it doesn't happen. Gehazi runs and puts the staff on, does nothing. Elisha shows up and he lays on top of this kid, eyeball on eye, nose upon nose, mouth upon mouth, and life enters back into this kid. And he raises, did you read about that story in chapter 4, verses 18, 37? Did you, read, did, did you hear the story about the death in the pot that's healed with the meal? You see, they're, they're having this like communal dinner and there's a bunch of stew, the soup. This is the problem. Soup. <clears throat> right? Meat and taters, that's what we need, but they're making a big pot of soup. And so they do, and this dude's out there like, hey, I, gotta, I, didn't, I didn't bring anything. So he runs out in the wilderness and grabs a bunch of gourds, and he shows up with the gourds and just starts cutting them up and throwing them in the pot, and they're dishing it out, and they're like, oh, man, we're all going to die of food poisoning. What do we do? How do we do this? And he's like, man, just bring me some meal, and he takes some meal, and he just tosses it in the pot and heals the pot. Did you, did you hear about that story? Man, there's some doctrinal stuff going on there. Did you hear about Naaman? The captain of the host of Syria who's covered in leprosy and he, he wants to be healed. And he comes to Elisha and Elisha says, hey, just go dip yourself in the River Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. He's like, have you seen the River Jordan? That place is gnarly. It's like the worst in the Neosha River. It's disgusting. You want me to get in the Neosha River? You want me to get in the River Jordan? And his servant's like, man, if, you, if he told you to do this and this, you would have done it. Oh, why don't you just go get wet? And so he dips himself seven times. Seven times he comes out clean comes out clean. That's, that's amazing. Did you, did you hear the story about Elijah causing the axe head to swim? How crazy is that? What do you mean, axe head swim? That, that's what the Bible says. The guy's out there chopping wood, axe head lands in the water, sinks to the bottom, because that's what axe heads do, right? They don't float. He goes, at last, my master, I borrowed that thing, and how am I going to get the axe head? He says, give me a stick. Tosses the stick in, swims to the top, he grabs the axe. Grabs the axe head, puts it back together, and gets after it. Did you hear about that story? Man, people are losing their heads. Even axes are losing their heads in this book. Did, did, you, did you hear the story about God sending the, the horses of fire and the chariots of fire? Did you hear about that story? Because they're surrounded by the Syrian army, and Gehazi comes to, to Elisha and says, Hey, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of them, and it ain't a lot of us. And Elisha says, You don't understand. There's more with us than with them. He's like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. There's a whole lot of them and a whole little of us. He goes, God opened his eyes. And he opens up his eyes and the whole countryside is just filled with chariots of fire. And, and the armies of the Lord, right, and the, these horses. And he's like, oh, I get it. 
right? Did, did, you, did you hear the story about the lepers who saved their city with a message of deliverance? Because there's lepers sitting outside the city that's surrounded by the Syrians. You've got women boiling their own kids to eat, right? There, there's a lot of stuff going on. The lepers are like, hey, listen, we go into town, we dead. We stay here, we dead. We go out against the army, go out to the Syrians, we die. Well, I better not sit here, and I don't want to go in there and huddle up, so I'm going to at least do something. I'm going to go out with a bang. Let me do that. And so run out to the, to the Syrian army and find out God's dealt with them, and they're gone. And they're like, they're like stuffing their pockets full of all the stuff and like picking it up and running and dropping stuff. And they're like, um, we should tell somebody. So they run back, and they tell everybody, hey, uh, the Syrian army's gone. And they all come out. There's a lot of hem-haw back and forth, but they all come out. And God brings them great victory. Did, did you see that story? But all too often what's happening is people worry about Jehu and Jezebel and the thrones and dominions and politics. And who's going to rule and who's going to reign? And you miss all the cool stories that only God does through the faithful remnant. And I'm telling you, we've got to get this because here's the danger for people today. The danger for God's people today, here's your blank, is that God's people are in danger of missing out on being the faithful remnant and living the cool stories. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to make axe head float. And I'm not telling you you're going to throw a, throw a meal in the pot and make it any better. Odds are, you're not. But I will say this, just side note. I like my soup thick, and so meal helps that happen. Just so you know. Runny soup is a waste of time. All right, so... God's people are in danger of missing out on being the faithful remnant because when you are the faithful remnant, that's when the cool stories happen, man. That's where they happen. And we're often too distracted by elections and political movements to be a part of what God's doing. We're listening to radio all the time. We're tuned into the news all the time and we're stressing and we're worried and we're having all these conversations about politics and who's going to rule and reign, who's going to be in the left wing and who's going to be in the right wing and who's this and who's that. Let me just tell you, his name is Jesus, and he rules and reigns, and he's going to rule and reign. That's how the story ends. Quit worrying about it, man. Just get after it and be the faithful remnant. Allow God to use you to have some really cool stories. How about that? But we're often too focused on manifesting what we want in our own life, and so we work hard. We, we try to get where I want things to happen. I want a little slice of heaven on this planet and trying, trying to make things happen. And, and what it really boils down to is I'm not interested in what God has to say anymore. I want to listen to this health guru and I want to listen to this self-help person. I want to listen to this person who's got all this wisdom on how to make my life better. And we miss the point that God is trying to use us to be a faithful remnant. And we run to everybody else who has authority on all these different subjects instead of grabbing this book and allowing it to be the authority of our life. Amen? And we get too preoccupied. We get too preoccupied with our own lives to be a part of what God's doing. I'm too busy to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm too busy. I need comfort. I need to, I need to stay at home. I need to prioritize my comfort. And I need to prioritize my pleasures. And we miss out on all the cool stories. Did you hear the story about Ron Holman? 
By the way, it's his birthday today. Happy 60th. We're not singing to you. But did you hear the story about Ron Holman who met Jesus in the midst of his addiction? Did you hear the story about how he came with the body of Christ and the body of Christ surrounded him and his wife to overcome that addiction and break the cycle of sin? He's got an amazing daughter and some grandkids now. I don't know that Ron's alive this time without all that. But you missed that story. There's a faithful remnant back there. Did you hear the story about David Shelby who led his family to move to Podunkville, Iola, Kansas? Going where he would not want to go and God using it mightily. Did you get that story? Because that's a really cool one. Did you get the story about Mason Wilson who gave up the life of a rock star to marry an awesome rock star to do ministry together in Podunkville, Iola, Kansas? Did you get that story? Because that's a pretty stinking cool one, man. Like Mason, a rock star? Yeah. Check it out. Did you hear about David Doherty? sitting here with a wife and what God has done in that man it's pretty awesome living a life of self-pleasure and depression and he's got his wife little girl it's a pretty cool story did you hear a story about Kyla Sutterby Grew up in church her whole life. That's all she's known. And she finally made the choice to make her faith her own, and now she's plugged into ministry. It's a pretty cool story. Man, I love the stories of the kids growing up in the church, man, and they're owning their faith. That's a pretty cool story. I got a lot here, but we'll be here for hours. But man, what's your cool story? Back, Zach Lauk, I got you down here, so I'll talk about you for a moment. My grandson in the Lord in discipleship. I discipled Chuck, and Chuck's pouring his guts into you. Like on the long train of discipleship, because he's got a thousand questions. Praise the Lord. Because letting the word of God be his authority. And now God seems to be paving the way for Zach and I to go to Malawi next July. To work hand in hand and see what God can do in another ministry. There's some really awesome stories. But if we get so distracted by the political stuff, we get so distracted by the things of the world, we miss out on being the remnant and living the cool story. I think sometimes we, we look at ourselves in the mirror, we look at our lives and go, God, how could you use me? What? No, you got a pretty awesome story. What can God do with a faithful remnant who will just be sold out to the Lord? Don't miss out on those opportunities. And I can't wait the next year, two years, five years, ten years, the Lord tarries.
We can sit around the table. Did you hear the story about? Did you hear the story about that person who came to Christ, made a disciple, that person who took on ministry? Did you hear that story about Roberta? Did you hear that story about Dana Endicott? Did you hear that story about Chris Ted? I know all those stories. And I love to talk about them. You got a cool story too. Be the remnant. Let's stand together. Listen. Stories are meant to be told. Right? Y'all with me? Stories are meant to be told. And we tell them in fellowship one with another. And I look around the room and I look at a lot of people who do not know each other's names. Okay, well that happens. But you get to know people by having conversations with people. Right? That's how this this works. And all the introverts just went, I'm out. Okay. Well, I'm not calling you up on the stage, but man, share stories with one another. All too often we say amen and people bust out the door and they're gone. And we don't have any interaction with people. We're sitting here praising the Lord together, plugged in the same church together. We don't know each other's stories. Man, hang out. Tell some stories. We've got a children's ministry meeting right now. Right? But hang out. Tell some stories about what God's doing here. Be the faithful remnant. And you might not think your story is pretty cool, but I do. I'm in. I want to I hear all about it. So we're going to go our separate ways. We're going to do our, do our thing. Some of us are going to get really busy with life. And this is going to go in one ear and out the other. Please. Please don't let that be the case. Let's do business with the Lord. Just take a few moments and I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank you for this book. It's so amazing. Just the different stories that are in it, the, the storylines that are in it. Lord, almost unbelievable. And yet I look around in this room and there's some pretty unbelievable stories about what you're doing in the lives of people. Lord, I pray that we as a church, as a collective, as one body will choose to be a faithful remnant, but that it's only done if we as individuals do the same. Lord, I pray for that soul here who does not know you. They're on the outside looking forth and they haven't, their story hasn't even really truly begun. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they call on you to, to know you as Savior. Lord, I pray for those who are just vacillated, consumed with the things of this world, and sprinkling a little bit of Jesus in their life. Lord, I pray that today will be a moment to say, no, we need to turn the page. Next chapter, I'm writing a new story. Lord, I pray for those who've gone through some things and seen some things. Lord, I pray that they won't shy away from telling their stories. And Lord, I pray that we'll always have our ears open and our eyes open to see what you're doing in the faithful remnant. We ask all this in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.